What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to Meet the Press Slam, episode 6 of this run here. I've been on a consistent run this time. We've had four or five great four or five great guests here, um, starting with Kevin, Arnorak, um, Josh, and um, Gerard, of course, Gerard DeTrolio of Voices of Wrestling, and we have another Voices of Wrestling contributor and a Wrestling Inc. contributor. As well, I recently did an article for Voices of Wrestling highlighting me mental health and my journey with wrestling through mental health. Um, my mental health journey through wrestling, through the eyes of wrestling. And this guy is a great contributor for Voices of Wrestling and Wrestling Inc. He is Jesse Collins. Jesse Collins, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Danny. This is... Uh... This is, I'm up in Boston, and this is our, our first very hot day uh, of the year. Like, I think it's like 88 degrees outside right now. And so, um, I haven't put my air conditioners in my apartment yet. So, today is, like, going to be the, probably the hottest day of the year for me, at least inside. Yikes. Um, so, but, but other than that, I'm doing, I'm doing uh, fantastic. Yikes, indeed. We, like, we all know what, in the Northeast, like, I'm in Philadelphia, just to be... Um, aware and like if you have like an air AC unit and you haven't put it in yet, when it gets hot, it's like oh, too little, too late. Yeah, well, it was one of those things where it's like it felt like like this time last week it was like fifty degrees outside. Yeah. So I was like, you know, going outside wearing a jacket, and then all of a sudden, like earlier this week, we got a report. It was like, oh, and by the way, it's gonna be like eighty-five Friday and Saturday. And I was like, damn, like there was no like. Warning. Springtime at all. It just went from kind of like winter time to now it's now going to be like hot with like a humidity of 100%, um, you know, until October. Yes, yes. And um, Jesse is a great contributor for Wrestling Inc. and Wizard Wrestling. And he hosts the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast as well, which is a great lesson. Um, so, how did you become a wrestling fan? You're actually the same age as me, almost. I'm 26, you're 27. So, I'm interested in, like, how you came along as a wrestling fan, because it might be similar to my path. Yeah, I would say it's pretty typical. I don't have, like, a crazy story. Um, as, like, a really little kid, like, when I was, like, you know, seven or eight years old, um, I didn't, I didn't watch wrestling, um. I didn't watch wrestling as a at that age. I, I was vaguely aware of it. Like one of my uh, neighbors had a, a, a WWF game for the N sixty four that we used to play. So I knew like who like the Undertaker was, and I knew who Triple H and The Rock uh, obviously were. But I never really watched it. It wasn't until I was in fifth grade, which would have been like I would say two thousand five would be when I first started watching wrestling like regularly. And that was just because, you know, some of the other boys at school started, you know, talking about it. I'm like, oh, wrestling. And, and I, I kind of had an a small interest in it because I liked playing the uh, video game. 
and so I just started watching. Um, started watching SmackDown, Danny. Like, uh, yes, because um, Raw was on, you know, until it was on from a nine to eleven p.m. East Coast time on Monday nights, which my parents were not. Like, I didn't stay up till eleven o'clock at night uh, when I was that age. On, nope. on a school neither night, were my parents. Night. Yeah, no, so certainly not. So I, I never really, but SmackDown, um, SmackDown was on from eight to ten on Thursday nights, and then. Kind of shortly after that, they moved to Friday nights when they moved to CW. When I first started watching, they were still on uh, UPN. And um, so, like, SmackDown was really attainable as, as a kid to watch. Um, so I, I watched it pretty regularly, you know, like, you know, I got super into it. I got DVDs. I started getting the video games. I was, I was you know, watching SmackDown every week. Um, but after about, you know, like, Two two or three years, I would say. Like I, I watched a lot from like two thousand five to two thousand seven. Um, I eventually just kind of stopped watching it. I think the way a lot of kids did, and you know, no one at sc- everyone at school stopped watching it. Um, we just kind of one of those things where it's a phase, and then you kind of grow out of it. Like right. I, there was a whole phase where I was really into Yu Gi Oh. You know, like when I was like in like third or fourth grade, and then eventually when I got to middle school, like I didn't do Yu Gi Oh anymore. Um, and so wrestling to me was kind of similar to that. Um, but then when I got to high school, um, I just, one day me and my friend were just like, let's start, let's watch wrestling. Like we were around or something on a Monday night or something like that. It's like, dude, let's just like watch wrestling. Just see like how different it is. Cause there was kind of a curiosity I had cause I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know who like, um, you know, who had been champion or anything like that. So I started, so we just tuned back in like, uh, no, I would say this was like 2000. 2010 and I just started I got right back into it and I just started watching Raw every week um, and that's 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 when I would consider I like really got into wrestling and I've, I've been watching consistency ever since consistently ever since I um, never it's kind of weird I never had that low so, period um, yeah it was kind of weird like it was like it was like um I got into it as a little kid like really into it and then I just kind of fell out of it and then you know I for some whatever reason my interest was was peaked, you know, when in, in high school to tune in one time. It wasn't like I heard that something awesome was happening, or it wasn't like I heard like someone was making a big return. It was just like a random episode of Raw, and I can't even remember that that much what, what happened. It was like I remember seeing like Mark Henry was a baby face, and he had been a heel when I was watching earlier, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I like Mark Henry. I'm glad he's a baby face now. Um, it was right during period where John Cena and Randy Orton were having like their feud where they like you know traded the title back and forth oh yeah were, yeah yeah and just they were just about starting to integrate like the, the the gimmick pay-per-views like they had the that the breaking point pay-per-view and then they had the, the hell in a cell pay-per-view like kind of like the introduction of those concepts as pay-per-views were kind of right when I started to get back into it um yeah, the breaking point yeah. pay-per-view was the I Quit match between Randy Orton and John Cena, where John Cena used the tape. If you was remember. that... He, he, I don't think he used... He used the tape against um, Batista in a Last Man Standing. Oh, game. yeah! I I get those two confused, because... Yeah, it was around the same time period, but yeah, I think the, the breaking point one, he used, like, handcuffs, and he put them in the STF. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He might have used tape too. It kind of sounds vaguely familiar that he might have used tape twice. It was 
there was this period of time where there, John Cena was like finding wacky solutions to like win matches. Like there was one where he like took apart the ring to like, I think he was like handcuffed to a ring post and he like used like a screwdriver that he found to take it apart. Like it was these kind of weird gimmicks that they were using, like where he would like MacGyver his way into wrestling wins. It was like ingenuity at its finest. Yeah, it was like this weird phase, but yeah, like that. I think like the breaking point, like the match, like that. What I would say, like I remember that being like a big angle was like the whole I Quit match that they were having, and it was like they um, DX came back, like they reformed again to feud with like Legacy, um, and they came out in the tank. That was like another thing that I remember kind of happening, and whatever you know, it's when I look back at all that stuff, I kind of think it was bad, but it did work in the sense that I was watching every week again after kind of having been lapsed for a few years. Yeah, I was about to lapse at the time CM Punk happened. And then CM Punk happened. And then I never looked back. You mean like the, what, what do you mean? Pipe bomb, pipe bomb CM Punk. Yeah, so like the pipe bomb promo and stuff like that. Yeah, I was like, this, I was like, I was like in like 10th grade in high school. And then I was about to laugh because I was like, more important things are happening. Like, I was getting depressed, you know, stuff like that. But then CM Punk happened and I was like, whoa. This sort of changes my view on wrestling as a whole. Yeah, you're right. I, I had, like, like, I was definitely really into it. By that point, I wasn't, I won't think, I can't, I can't, it's hard for me to remember. I don't think I was into getting out of it. Um, but it was definitely like, all, like, a real a transformative moment in that, like, holy shit, like, um, well, he just said, what? Like, I was worked, like, I was like, he, he went off script, like, I can't believe he said that, like, I was, I totally thought it was, like, a, a total shoot, like, I didn't think it was, like, a work shoot or anything like that, it, it definitely was, you know, it was, it's, it's one of the most important moments in wrestling history, really, um, and certainly over the last, you know, 10 or 15 years, and I think everyone that's, like, our age, that's still a wrestling fan now, is gonna ha- relate to that moment in a way that, like, people that are a generation older might relate to, like, the formation of the NWO. Or Austin 316. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think a lot of people remember, like, Austin 316. Like, it's like, like, Steve Austin himself is a big figure, but I don't think, like, a lot of people weren't watching when he, when he said the Austin 316. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, like, I'm talking about, like, people, like, who are older will be like, I remember what happened when, you know, Hulk Hogan formed the NWO, and People who are older than that will point to the um, the Hulk Hogan Andre the Giant twin referee thing on Saturday Night's main event um, as like that kind of thing. But every generation kind of has this moment where like a wrestling fandom either peaks or just becomes like this huge you know thing that they'll always remember, like what they were doing when that moment happened. Yeah, um, uh, it's funny. Like I used to um, I used to go on wrestling Inc. as a user first obviously and uh when the cm punk so like what would generally happen was i would i would watch raw and then i would the next day i had like a, basically like a free period in school yeah yeah where you kind of just chill in a computer lab um which i know schools don't have computer labs anymore but uh and i would go on wrestling and i would kind of write like mini recaps just in like a comment section where I would do like these pros and cons over last night's episode of Raw. 
and I would kind of, I'd watch Raw the night before and I would like, um, I kind of think about like, you know, overnight or like in the morning, like, what I was going to say, like what I was going to actually write and my little like pros and cons thing. And, but when the CM Punk pipe bomb happened, like I sprinted upstairs to my computer, like turned it on at like, you know, 11 o'clock on the school night and ha- I had to be online. I had to talk about it with other people. And yeah. there's no grace period. I couldn't wait, you know, I couldn't sleep and then wait, you know, for my free period school to kind of like formulate my thoughts. I had to talk about it right now. And that definitely, you know, it's fine. I never really thought about it like that. Uh, but like that definitely is like a transformative period of time for me as a wrestling fan um, to really get into it uh, in that kind of way. I think another transformative period for for wrestling fans was that period before Russell Kingdom 9. Um, and that rise of New Japan, like, we, we see it coming. We see it coming. But people are slowly becoming more aware. And I first saw the Ishii Shibata match, I believe, in, like, November of 2013. And, boy, did that change my perception of what wrestling can be. Uh-huh. That Ishii Shibata match. Um, and then I fell in love with New Japan slowly thereafter. And I... I can't believe my dad let me order Wrestle Kingdom Nine from Global Force. My, <laughs> my God. Yeah. You know, I, I pirated I, it to stay up. I stayed up and pirated it the morning of, and then watched it on pay per view the next the the day of because yeah, I had to so, know. Yeah, with New Japan, so. Um, as I got more into wrestling fandom and I was online and I was reading kind of things, I became really uh, fascinated with Dave Meltzer's star ratings. Yes, me too. Um, yeah, like I and I was on um, uh, like IWDB, like the internet, internet wrestling database site. Oh yeah, that IWDB. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ProfeetFightDB.com. It was before I realized that Cage Match was a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't know Cage Match was a thing either. So I would go on ProfeetDB.com during like lunch periods and crap and look at Dave Meltzer's star ratings and see who the heck is this Shibata guy? Who the heck yes. is who the heck is Misawa? Who the heck is Kobashi? Yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, so um, we... um. So I, as a fan, so I became kind of obsessed with them. Like, anytime I'd watch a wrestling match, or especially if it's an older match, I'd want to go on and see what Dave rated it. Like, could be something from, you know, the 90s or the 80s that I had on DVD or something like that. And so I kind of became obsessed with it. And obviously, like, I became really interested in, like, five-star matches and what matches got five stars from Dave. And there was, oh, you know, people who are, are more recent to Dave who probably might find this hard to believe given how liberally he gives them out now, but there was like a really long gap in time where Dave did not give out any five-star ratings. And it was right around the time period that you and I are talking, like 2009, yeah. 2010. Yeah. Where he hadn't given one, I think, in like five years. He, maybe he did, and I'm misremembering, maybe there's like a, there was one, but he obviously, you know, he wasn't, he didn't give one in WWE for a really long time. Like I think he, he went longer. He went like ten. Ninety seven. It was the it was the uh, Hell in a Cell. Yeah, he gave one um, to the the, the um, Shawn Michaels Undertaker first Hell in a Cell match, 
And I think he didn't give one again until the CM Punk John Cena match at Money in the Bank in like 2011. So, um, so like I was really curious to know. So, and then one day I I don't you know I had to bet Ben, you know, shortly after this show, uh, he gave a five star match out. It was to Hiroshi Tanahashi and Minoru Suzuki from Kings yes. of Pro Wrestling. It had to have been 2010 or 2011. And I, I didn't really know. I, I knew nothing about. I knew what New Japan Pro Wrestling was, but I don't think I'd ever seen a. I probably hadn't seen a New Japan match before in my life. I, I knew it from like you know going through the the, the database and seeing oh yeah New Japan Pro Wrestling it's like the big company in Japan. Um, he gave so when he gave that one, and I was like oh my god, he gave a five star match out like it was 2012. Yeah, 2012. Okay, that, that's about right. Um. I was in high school at the time, so I would have been a senior in high school. And he, um, so I had to see that match. Like, I had, I had never really watched um, that much New Japan before. I probably, I, now I'm thinking about it, I probably had because I had, like, kind of, I started getting into independent wrestling, which kind of led me into some, some Puro. Um, but that was the match that I had to see, was the Tanahashi Suzuki match, because Dave gave it five stars. Um, and then so I, uh, so I, uh, it was the same I thing watched. with Ishii Shibata for me. I was like, Dave gave this five stars, so I have to see it. And yeah, I found it on YouTube or Daily Motion or something like that. Um, and so that kind of led me to this whole world of, of New Japan. And, and I started, I remember watching the match, and I don't remember, I don't really remember like thinking the match was like that amazing. Because, like, a, like you know, it's kind of hard when you're, when you're watching, like, I never watched really that much. Japanese pro wrestling, so I was kind of thrown out. I didn't really understand the beats of the match. I didn't understand that much of the story between Suzuki and Tanahashi. You know, there was no English commentary back, you know, back then. So I was just kind of watching these two guys I'd never seen before. So I don't really remember being like that into the match itself, but it obviously was enough to, for me to continue to pay attention to New Japan. And, you know, that's when Okada started really taking off. So then I became really uh, enamored with Okada. And then it all snowballed from there, right? You know, AJ Styles, who was this wrestler I really liked in TNA, yeah. he ends up in New Japan, which really helped my interest because now it's like, oh, now I know a guy who's in New Japan who I'm familiar with, and he wins the title, you know, I think in his first or second match. Yeah, Invasion um, Attack 2015, I believe it was, or 2014. Yeah, and that would have been, that was the first New Japan show I ever purchased on pay-per-view. I bought I bought it on UStream. Oh yeah, the um, UStream days. Oh, yeah, before you had it, before you had um, New Japan World. Before, yeah, before New Japan World, I bought it on UStream and I watched it in the middle of the night at college. Like I watched the AJ Styles Okada um, match, and I watched I watched the whole pay per view, and I was like, um, I, I remember at the time, like I was watching it on UStream. And I really, I wasn't really on like wrestling message boards, and I wasn't on Twitter or anything like that. I really didn't know. Um, I wasn't even an observer subscriber at that time. I really didn't know anyone that you know watched um, Japanese pro wrestling. It was really like kind of strange to look back. Like I, I had no one else. I had no one to talk about it with. Like um, that was, was me too. Felt, yeah, like it kind of felt like I was alone watching it. Like I knew there was probably other fans, but it was very obscure. Um, but I, when I was watching the pay-per-view on the Ustream, 
there were other people watching it and Ustream had like a chat feature similar to kind of like how YouTube has a, has a chat feature for its 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 up um, its live streams and I would talk I was talking about New Japan and, and, and Japanese pro wrestling with God knows who like these other strangers that were up in the middle of the night watching the pay-per-view on Ustream and so that kind of helped um, kind of take my wrestling fandom to like another level where I started exploring um, outside of American pro wrestling and getting really into to, to Japanese pro wrestling and Puro and, and, and that kind of thing. Um, my, my, mine is a little different because I I became an animal with New Japan right away and I found Voices of Wrestling um, because I was like, I'm looking for a podcast that covers this. I'm looking for a podcast that because I used to listen to a podcast called Wrestling Soup at the time. And I was like, I, I, I would call in and talk about New Japan and get left out of the building. Because there were WWE exclusive podcasts. And and I was very hyped about this New Japan thing. And I needed another outlet to talk about it. So I found in 2014, 2015, Joe and Rich. Um... And then I started doing my own show at Monco in college around that time. Um, and it's funny. It's funny how things happen for a reason because I would I would do I would do this show called the Chat Down, which this guy um, wanted to do like WWE only, and I was like, no, there's this movement in Japan that's happening, and. You better watch out because this movement's going to take over wrestling. And boy, was I right! And um, and it did. And I was like, I was influenced by Meltzer. I was influenced by that. So I got Semper Vivi on for the first few of my shows. I lost these recordings. I swear. And it was so weird. It was so weird how this community became so supportive of it. Yeah, I mean, I was, um, it's one of the, like, it's funny you mentioned, like, WWE only and, like, calling into Wrestling Soup and, and they'd laugh at you. Um, we, we talk about this a lot, like, for such a long time, you able to subside. You could be, like, a major wrestling media figure. You could have a successful podcast or a successful website right. or blog. You really only ever talk about WWE. Um, that ain't the case dismiss, anymore. You could talk, you know, sometimes you had to talk about TNA and, you could always kind of get away with TNA being a joke because TNA always did things to make itself a joke. You know, even though if there was a lot of good stuff that happened in between those things. But you really, you could be a major podcast, you know, you could be a major thing and really only ever know WWE. And what AEW has done is kind of expose a lot of those people who maybe previously we thought of or viewers thought of as like, oh, they're wrestling experts. And they really just know WWE. And a lot of AEW coming along, which is something so mainstream that you cannot ignore it um, if you're a major podcast. You can't be that. You cannot have a shred of seriousness and just totally ignore AEW. Um, and it exposes a lot of those people for, you know, the, the you know when people are confused about things that AEW does that are things that WWE wouldn't do. Um, and they have, we, you know, we joke about WWE brain worms and all that, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it really did. There are people who 
dismissed New Japan Pro Wrestling, they dismissed TNA, they dismissed independent wrestling and the, the strides that Ring of Honor had made you know, throughout the 2010s. And then all of a sudden AEW happened and there, you know, so many people are woefully unprepared to analyze it because yeah. all they ever knew for 20 years was WWE. Or maybe they knew WCW, which honestly like isn't that much better. It's wrestling from 30 years ago that you know followed a lot of the same rules that WWE did. And it's not necessarily like like a more modern hip product the way AEW is. And I would think I felt like I was a one of those fans who was ahead of the curve, and like people would groan at me. People would say, "Danny, you, it's not going to happen. Danny, it's not going to, it's not going to commence. It's not going." But look what happened! Look what happened! They're getting a point. They're getting. They're getting like fifth. Top five finishes in the night on TNT, and it it just I'm not I'm not patting myself on the back to say like I'm the reason or anything like that, but like there was a movement of fans and a movement of like these people who t- took wrestling so very seriously to uh sort of be want it to be better. Yeah, I mean, to me as a fan, when I was watching, when I first started watching like, New Japan Pro Wrestling or when I was watching Independence, I never really cared that, like, oh, I want them to grow, I want them to be, um, right. I want other people to really like this. I just enjoyed watching it myself, and I was totally content on that end. Like, the success that AEW has had, you know, to me, is, like, beyond my wildest imagination. Like, we talk about, like, once a week or something, there's something that's like, could you, if I told you three years ago that we were getting, like, you know, insert some random, uh, you know, crazy match, usually it's one that, like, Sting is in, because, like, it's like, you know, uh, at Revolutions, like, if I told you three years ago we were going to get, you know, Darby Allen and Sting versus, you know, Andrade and, and, and Matt Hardy is there and you're like it's like what all these guys would be wrestling one another like you know and Jim Ross is calling it with Tony Schiavone and Excalibur from PWG like it just all that kind of stuff like it blows my mind it would have blown my mind you know five or six years ago I never really expected like, this revolution in pro wrestling to take place um, right so I it, it's you know I think a lot of it is WWE created the opportunity for it by turning off longtime fans and not catering towards fan interests, which allowed a company that did cater towards those fan interests, specifically the fans who maybe disengaged from WWE for a variety of reasons, you know, kind of created this opportunity to, to swoop in. And obviously Tony Khan, you know, is a, is a very unique person uh, given his life circumstances and his personal fandom that makes, makes him a very unique person to, 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 to kind of put together AEW in a way that has has been it, 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 in a way that it's made it as successful as it has. I never would have, but I never anticipated like, oh, this whole thing is going to happen in wrestling and it's going to change the world uh, of pro wrestling. It was always just like I was always just kind of happy to have the product, you know, for my own consumption. Right, right. I didn't really need it to be any bigger. Right. I I never really expected it either, but when it did happen, I was like, I felt validated. <laughs> I was like. I was like, I was like, I was like, boy, 
you, you told me I was wrong, <laughs> you know, and here it is. That's how yeah. it felt. Yeah, no, it's been great. Obviously, like the mainstream stuff has made it more accessible for for us, like things like New Japan World. You know, no, no longer having to order stuff on Ustream. You know, being able to watch, you know, the Young Bucks or Kenny Omega or any of these indie stars who became, you know, being able to watch them every week on national right. television is great. I mean, I, New Japan, like, I, you know, I, it, you wouldn't, I wouldn't have believed, um, you know, when I first started watching it. You know, ten years ago or so, that I would have been able to have seen. You know, I've seen Tanahashi live, I've seen Okada live, I've seen Naito live, and I, you know, I saw it all in Massachusetts. It wasn't like I had to go to Japan. Um, so that kind of aspect of it's pretty incredible as a fan. Yeah, it certainly is, and I I've seen all those guys live too as a fan in Philadelphia. So it, it's just I'm not saying I, I I'm not saying like it just it just wrestling's about emotion and. Like, I I would not be being honest to the listener if I didn't say I had emotional investment to it all as well. Because this is the wrestling I grew up with. So this is the wrestling I endorsed. I went to Shakara High Noon. One of the seminal independent high pay-per-views of all time. You know, and it sort of dawned on me when when I was thinking back to that Shakara High Noon moment and when Eddie Kingston pinned Mike Quackenbush and Eddie Kingston cut that promo beforehand and we see Eddie Kingston on television now and people did not have to change to be this either. You know? And it, yeah. it people did not have to we, we, lose their values or lose their judgment. They just... Eddie Kingston was Eddie Kingston the entire time and still got a chance at national television. Yeah, no, it's definitely... It's 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 such a great time. I mean, when I watch... AEW, like... was... is the first... There's something about it, like... I... I don't know if I like AEW than I've ever liked New Japan Pro Wrestling. No, I agree. I agree, too. I I like New Japan Pro Wrestling quite a bit, but there's something about the AEW being on a week-to-week, being, you know, week-to-week television, so many people watching it, being part of a community where so many people watch it, you know, having enough mainstream value that most wrestling fans are watching it, um, for the most part, or at least paying attention to it. That creates like this kind of shared cultural experience that you know I wasn't really getting with New Japan because New Japan, even when it got really big, was still a niche, pretty small, yeah, and pretty niche within wrestling general wrestling fandom. But when you have things like, um, just like these really like incredible moments, like the the end to All Out um, last year, where Adam Cole debuts as kind of like the uh, the red herring for Brian Danielson's debut and you just have this incredible ending to the pay-per-view and then just the pay-per-view ends and everyone is just buzzing about it and everywhere I look online, you know, you know obviously like the Voice of Wrestling Discord is, is talking about it, obviously, but even like, you know, people who other like a sports message board that I go on that's not, you know, a big wrestling thing, people are talking about it. Like just having this kind of general cultural uh, experience with 
just the mass of wrestling fans is different than, than WWE. And then that is where, um, or is different than New Japan Pro Wrestling. And that is, to me, what kind of has made AEW uniquely special as, as a fan is is taking all of the, the thing, a lot of things that I really like about pro wrestling and making it in a more mainstream, consumable uh, form for people who maybe are not going to be as hardcore and diligent about finding stuff and, and, right. and being able to converse with so many different people about it is it, it, really fantastic. I, I love talking to, to... What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Casual fans or, or, or lapsed fans or, or, or fans who have sampled the AEW product and just see what they have to say about it because it's such a, it's such a fun thing to be able to see what people uh, think about it who aren't like just, you know, super hardcore wrestling nerds like, like you or I and right. you know, the other people that we might engage with on social media. Right. It, it was so interesting when you had that guy on the podcast. It was so interesting, like, he, 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 he exemplified, like, why it's good to do fan service. It's good to do that type of thing and give credit to your fans while also not insulting the intelligence of your fans. And I think AEW sort of toes that line very well. Right, there's this... this you know, so yeah. So on my last episode of our podcast, the the Gentleman Wrestling Podcast, I interviewed somebody who I knew kind of. I only really knew him a little bit. I didn't really know him that well, um, but I just knew he was kind of like a, a passing fan of, of wrestling. And he said he had purchased AW Revolution, and it was the first pay per view he had purchased since like WrestleMania Seven. So. He had, you know, was a fan of wrestling as a kid and into young adulthood, but hadn't really been a consistent viewer. But for whatever reason, he was inspired to, to purchase AEW Revolution. And he talked a lot about, what, you know, what stood out to him as a as a as someone who was not a hardcore fan uh, with AEW. And he talked about how, like, he he even though he didn't know everything that was happening, he could see that people were excited and that these things meant a lot to those fans and. You know, as as even someone that didn't really have an emotional investment, you can appreciate when people are excited about something. And um, I think you know, uh, Brandon Thurston of WrestleNomics is really big on this concept of like having your fans be really excited on social media is a really viable and important marketing strategy to what you want your company. If you want your company to reach new fans. Uh, people who are watching going on social media and you know going on their their YouTube vlogs and whatever and saying oh my god this is so great I'm so excited that has a positive impact on people who maybe are on the fence about viewing or or, or maybe have never heard of it before but if people say it's really good I, I I mean if like when like a TV show comes out and I don't want I've never seen it and I never heard of it before but if I log on to social media every day. And everyone's like, "Oh my god, I can't believe how good this show is! I couldn't believe the ending right. of the last episode." I'm, I'm definitely gonna be more inclined to be like, "Oh, maybe I'll check that show out. It seems like people really like it." And 
some people are really dismissive about that, and some people seem to think that it's like, who cares if they make their dumb fans happy? It's all about attracting, you know, this mass casual block of fans, and your hardcore fans don't matter because they'll watch whatever. And it's like, I actually think it's really viable to, to say, like, it's important that people, casual fans, will be attracted to something that hardcore fans are really enthusiastic about, you know, even if they're not totally up to speed with everything that's going on with the product. I think they'll get up to speed. I think that's the that's the problem with the way WWE thinks. It's like they they get their fans up to speed, but it's in the dumbest of ways. And like with AEW, people get up to speed anyway. And it's phenomenal how I've seen fans who've never watched an ounce of Ring of Honor, never watched an ounce of Shakara, never watched an ounce of New Japan. Still have a knowledge of this stuff, and still have a knowledge of these rivalries and stuff like that, and still am very engaged with the product. Yet, yeah, in WWE, they give you none of that fan service. They do. It's just in the service of nostalgia from twenty or twenty-five years ago. Yeah. Um, and they have like this um... obsession. Yeah, they, I mean, it's, it's, like you said about, like, WWE's very literal with how they want to get fans up to speed, which is kind of like, hammer you over the head with a lot of stuff, and they don't just let stuff breathe, like, um, I was talking about, like, the CM Punk entrance music, and my, my casual fan, uh, correspondent, he just said, like, oh yeah, like, I, I don't even know that much about CM Punk. You know, but I, I could tell, like, it was his, they said it was, like, his Ring of Honor entrance, and the fans were singing along to it, so, like, I could tell it was kind of, like, the special, important entrance, and that was cool. Like, he's not there scratching his head, being, I can't believe, what is this? He's not coming out to his cult of personality entrance music, which, um, the guy who was a casual fan who was watching probably wouldn't even recognize as CM Punk's distinctive music. He would have just assumed it was his regular entrance music. Um, you know, and so, it was. Uh, it's one of those things that I don't think. I don't know. There's a little like a little subtlety to it. WWE's bad at it, and AEW is a little bit more accepting. Where it's like, you know, people are going to be coming up to speed. Like there was a whole push, you know, right when AEW started, where everyone was like, you got to have the you know the first episode of Dynamite and everything. Everyone's like, you got to have little video packages. They introduce all the talents. You've got to, you know, have all this information. You've got to be throwing it at all these people because so many people watching for the first time, they're not going to know who the Young Bucks are. They're not going to know who Kenny Omega is. They're not going to know who Jungle Boy is. Like, who, you know, they're not going to know any of these things. How will they know? Like, how will they be so disengaged? Yeah, they won't keep well, watching. Come and I was on. Like, it's like if you watch, and it's like, if you watch a pilot of a TV show, right? Like you don't just, like, like throw these video packages out there. Like, like. Yeah. <laughs> They just introduce yeah, like, the character and then it's just go. Yeah, one of the characters' personality is that they're kind of a dick, and one of them is like uh, like a dumb stoner, and one of them is like a uh, you know like a, a really funny like rigorous person, and one of them is like always depressed. And it's like yeah, like I understand the characters' personalities a bit. Like there's no video package introducing uh, all of the various characters. You just accept that when you turn on a television program that you'll learn more about these personalities the more you watch. And, you know, wrestling is no different. And we can turn this into the wrestling media discussion, which 
um, is like, I think a lot of this discussion is fueled by the wrestling media, which is like, I'm like, which AEW has melted the brains of a lot of people in the wrestling media. And like, saying, they're only an expert in WWE, like you said, and, and AEW sort of melted their brains a little bit. Yeah, well, you know, people just don't know how to react to a lot of things that AEW does. And so, you'll see complaints about that exact same thing. It's like, we needed to introduce who all these characters are. It's like, because that's what WWE would do. Because when WWE introduces someone, they often spend like 20 Four weeks typing them up. And, you know, here is coming or whatever you know, they want to do. Um, to kind of hype someone up, AEW is more likely to just kind of throw... Uh, someone out there and put them in front of a live crowd. And so uh, there's so many different things that AEW does that I think throws off people who have like a very WWE brain approach to what AEW should do. And it leads to a lot of, um, you know, lousy criticism and lousy analysis. A lot of the people are not um, knowledgeable enough or open-minded enough about non-WWE concepts in pro wrestling to provide uh, keen analysis on what AEW is doing because in some of it is like you know a bad faith analysis because I'm a WWE fan first and I don't really care for this AEW product so I'm going to make a bunch of arguments that don't really hold up um, when closely examined but a lot of it is just like kind of like um, you know unmalicious ignorance they just like don't know any better and I think you see that with some people on social media and stuff. It's like, yeah, it's no wonder you think that because that's what WWE would do. But not everyone has to do what WWE would do in situations. You can do things like we don't have to have a bunch of DQ finishes. We don't have to have vignettes that hype up every single thing all of the time. We there can be have... 50 people on the screen at once. Yeah, we can have people on the screen. We can have people who are um, maybe their babyface and heel role is a little bit more nuanced. And, and you're not beating people over the head. We can have, you know, here's a Japanese pro wrestler that you might not know, but we'll put them out there and the crowd might know who they are and they'll sink or swim and we're not going to, you know, feel like we have to explain it to you people. You know, all these things. That and we won't give them a racist gimmick. Well, that, that's a different thing. I don't, I don't know if anyone's advocating for, we need to give that person a racist gimmick on, on AEW, but... I think it's kind of a, it's just one of those things where it's like, uh, I think because AEW, you know, functions like a normal wrestling company and WWE does not function, like has so many, you know, abnormalities when it comes to, to wrestling and how they choose to present their product that a lot of people seem to believe that the abnormal way to present it is like the proper and good way to do it just because WWE has done that. And then that's not the case. You know, it's going to vary from right. person to person. It's going to vary from company to company of what is the best way to present your product. Um, and I think there's really no way to look at AEW over the last few years and think that AEW's choice of presentation has not been a rousing success. Yes, I agree. And also, you th you think about it, and you just are floored with, like, like WWE does some things very starkly different than AEW. That's very apparent. But... There's, there's many ways to do wrestling, okay? And, like, people people get galaxy-brained over, like, like because WWE's the biggest company, the biggest 
suitor on the hill, that is the only way to do it. Which is very um, impractical when you think about like any other industry. Um, that that it has you know one company that might be dominating the industry and another company that's kind of rising up. The company that's rising up is not always going to be like, okay, what is the dominant market leader no, doing? doing we need to copy every single thing that they're doing if we want to become the market leader but they're actually thinking is saying what can we do different that makes our product or our company more appealing than the market leader right like, um if you were selling you know if you're if you're selling fast food or something like that you wouldn't be like all right what does mcdonald's do we have to do every single thing that mcdonald's does so we can become just as successful as mcdonald's no, that's ridiculous. You would say, what does McDonald's not do? What are some shortcomings that McDonald's has? What does McDonald's, you know, not provide that we can provide? Or can we do it in a different way that's maybe more efficient, that maybe people will like it more, and that will allow us to grow because people will be like, hold up, what's this new company? They're doing something different. Maybe I'll try that. And for some reason, in wrestling, people like default to this belief that, like, whatever WWE is doing is the way it has to be for a company to be successful. That just doesn't make any sense if you actually think about it. It actually, when the rising company gets success, it's actually the market leader is going to take from the rising company. That's what happens Absolutely. in business. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, Absolutely. And we haven't seen, it's funny because we haven't seen barely anything that WWE's taken from AEW. Except for Cody well, Rhodes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, you know, there's, I guess there's some resistance to that. Well, first of all, if you believe what Dave Meltzer reports, um, and I have no reason to think this isn't true, and there's a lot of evidence within WWE's own product that, that, that it is true, is that like the people high up in WWE think AEW's product is terrible, they think that they do a terrible job, they think it's just awful, terrible shit, and that they would never copy it because they think it's bad. And if we look at the differences between the two companies philosophically about what they do, it wouldn't surprise me that WWE thinks AEW is really bad, just like how I think I'm pretty sure a lot of people in AEW think a lot of what WWE does is really bad. And that's why the companies are very different because they have two totally different outlooks on what they view as a successful wrestling product. Um, so they're unlikely to adopt anything from uh, from AEW, I think, just based on that principle alone, which is like if they're doing it, it must be wrong. And that kind of you know methodology tricks, trickles down from WWE administrative all the way down to you know, members of the fan base who just assume if AEW's doing something, it's wrong, and I'm going to argue in bad faith against it, as opposed to having a more open mind. It's really what a, a lot of, you know, debate in wrestling comes down to, is the broad dividing line between people who only watch WWE and think that WWE is, like, the only really thing that matters or is important, and people who are willing to watch other products. It doesn't always have to be people who just watch AEW. Like the other products as well, and I feel like that's where you get a lot of the philosophical differences between fans. Is people who have been open-minded enough to expose themselves to non-WWE wrestling, and people who have just kind of remained in the WWE bubble throughout their entire fandom. Yeah, and like people who have, it's just like it's almost like a cult-like thing. <laughs> almost, it's like they pledge their allegiance and. They just defend, defend, defend. And it's weird. And it's sort of creepy in a way. Yeah. Um, in, in, in sort of odd ways. And I, I'm, I'm not 
criticizing like WWE only fans. One of my my brother's like a WWE only fan, and he's not creepy about it or weird about it. He just he just views WWE as his wrestling, which is fine. But I I see it as like I see like fans who have the avatars and stuff like that and stuff like that, and I I see like. Why are you defending this company with the, every ire you're being? Yeah, I mean, to me, I mean, I, I try not to allow, like, your crazy, you know, Twitter stan fans to kind of color my opinion on wrestling, WWE fans in general. Right. Um, I think a lot of WWE fans are pretty passive in their fandom. I think there definitely are, you know, a segment of fans who are going to make bad faith arguments against AEW and kind of, ain't, you know, to make make this big divide between the two fan bases. I, I, I try to put things in perspective and say this is a very, very, very small segment of ardent wrestling fans, many of whom are making up things for attention and don't feel that way from their personal opinion. Right. They really, really don't really feel that way in their personal opinion. Um, but there definitely is kind of like a general indoctrination to WWE. I know, you know, Dave Meltzer, he, he was kind of talking about um, WWE fans. I forget who they were referring to. It might have been Cody. This is like from a week or two ago. Um, but it was just talking about how like WWE fans, the fan base that they have left are their most ardent hardcore supporters and they are going to support the brand of WWE over anything else. And if, like, say a wrestler leaves and comes back, they might be met with some questions and some resistance from the fan base. And I don't think this is the case with Cody, but you'll be seen as, okay, you left, so we don't like you. Um, and so, like, uh, I think it might have been, I think it might have been, the example he might have used was, was with Ali, where it's like, Ali isn't getting over with the fans. And you kind of think, would look at Ali's social media kind of campaign to get himself released. And you would think in a, maybe in a prior era of WWE, maybe a few years ago, that Ali would become be really over because he's kind of like this anti-authority figure and people will like him. But to the current fan base that they have, the 4,500 people that they have going to these shows, Ali's a guy who wants to quit WWE and we shouldn't like him because he's leaving us. And they, they it's taken much more personally and they identify much more with WWE. Kind of the same way that people identify with their sports teams now. I always thought that was actually a good analogy for what WWE yeah. has become. Like as WWE is now someone's a sports fan, they're, you know, they're, you know, in New York City, maybe they're a, a Yankee fan, a Giants fan, a Knicks fan, and a WWE fan. And WWE might be good, WWE might be bad, but they're never going to stop being a fan. And it's sort of Weird in a way how WWE's almost transcended that into becoming sports like in the, in that arguable way, even though they are not sports like in any other way. Yeah, I mean, I think the fandom certainly has. I mean, you talk about this is what happens when you have twenty years of unchallenged success, and that you're able to position yourself with um, a level of familiarity with your fans who have no alternative option really to watch, or there's not an alternative option strong enough to to sway a lot of their attention away from WWE, you just become, if you like wrestling, you watch WWE. And unless you're curious enough to, to flip on, 
know, TNA when it was more relevant or to start watching New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, you're just going to be WWE for life, and WWE is wrestling to you. And it, the, the idea that wrestling outside of WWE is relevant and that you should be paying attention to it is going to be it's going to be tough. Yeah, yeah, that 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 is, that that's sort of poignant in a way. You know, I mean, I'm, like I'm a big, I really like um, soccer. And I really like, you know, I watch a lot of the Premier League and I, I watch some MLS and, and some of the other leagues in Europe. Uh, but, they, you know, there are a lot of people who will be like, I hate soccer. Soccer's stupid. It's not like, pro- it's not American. Like, I'm just never going to watch it. And I'm going to be like kind of proud of my ignorance of soccer. And like, obviously, I don't expect everyone to get into it. But I'm like, a lot of these arguments are dumb. Like, soccer is boring, soccer is stupid, it's not American, all the guys are, are, are gay, or whatever you people, bad faith argument people want to make about it. Um, and that, sometimes I feel like that, that that kind of ideology is similar when people talk about wrestling and, and outside of WWE, which is like, you know, I'm not going to watch these other non-WWE promotions, they're just these small things trying to be like WWE, and I'm going to watch what's like proper, which is, you know, World Wrestling Entertainment and Vince McMahon, and that kind of element. I think what got me out of thinking that way was sort of like, because I was sort of thinking that way in 2010, 2011, was, was like, was like, starting going to independent shows, starting to going to things, starting downloading tournaments of independent shows and seeing, oh, there's this other thing. And then seeing Japanese wrestling and then seeing other things, and I was like, okay, there's a world outside of WWE that we should all be paying attention to, but it it's never going to become, like, this big, big thing like WWE is. WWE's this touring brand that... Yeah, well... Sorry. No. No, go ahead. Finish your point. I was, like, saying, WWE's, like, this touring brand that Sort of supersedes like Cirque du Soleil, almost. Yeah, like it's not going to, your indie company might see a show once a month, but it's not going to become, grow into like something relevant enough. Yeah. Like AEW has become. Um, yeah, like with like, so like we were talking about like doing things differently and how that can attract new fans and things like that. I know I first started watching TNA and, you know, TNA to me was always like, me, it was like, oh, it's like WWE, you know, because it's wrestling and it's weekly and it's on cable television and it has some, you know, Kurt Angle was there and Christian yeah. Cage was there and kind of like, you know, familiar WWE wrestlers were there. But what really got me attracted to TNA was the X Division. Right. And just these guys who were going out and doing cool moves. I liked I liked the Cruiserweight division when I started watching SmackDown because, you know, as I said, SmackDown had the Cruiserweights when I first started watching it. And I liked seeing, you know, this style of wrestling that was really exciting and really athletic and captivating to me as a young viewer. So I started watching, when I watched TNA, like, I could kind of care less about the, you know, the Kurt Angle and, the, you know, the Jeff Jarrett and, and, and all those guys. But I wanted to see, you know, AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels and the, the Motor City Machine Guns and those guys. That was what was, like... Like, oh, I got, that was, you know, so unlike anything I was seeing in WWE, and I wanted to see more of it. The first independent wrestling match I can recall ever watching was um, 
I had seen Amazing Red in TNA. And, you know, he just did a bunch of cool shit. And I was like, I have to see more of this guy. So I went on YouTube to see if there were Amazing Red videos. And I was, I was looking for videos in TNA. And ended up seeing a six-man, uh, like, scram- basically like a six-man scramble match right. from Pro Wrestling Syndicate uh, in Long Island, New York. And it was, like, Amazing Red, uh, Pinky Sanchez, huh. uh, a wrestler named Javi Air, Rich Swan, Anthony Nice, and uh, one more guy. I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember that sixth person. Uh, I, I actually remember who it was, too. He, read, he did some shots in, in, in TNA. I just can't remember his name at the moment. I think he went by Black G's on the Independence. But, oh, Xavier. Um, Xavier. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it was those guys, and they just had like what what would probably be like kind of just like a typical scramble match now if you watch it. But those guys, particularly Amazing Red and Tony Nice and Rich Swan, all you know, especially Swan and Nice, who were really young in their career. Like nice, Swan was probably eighteen years old. Um, they just did a bunch of incredible stuff. You know, Rich Swan did a a top rope harakarana where he jumped up from the ground into the harakarana like he did. Just did like a vertical leap, and Tony yeah. Nice did like a you know uh, the, the the space flying tiger drop uh, drop. Like they were just doing crazy stuff, and I was like, this is wrestling. Even though this is like low production in a in a bingo hall, this is stylistically wrestling I have never seen before as a fan, and I I was intoxicated by it. Like I was like, oh, man, this is the craziest wrestling I've ever seen in my life, and I need to watch more of it. And it was specifically, if I had been seeing that stuff in WWE, it wouldn't have bat my, it wouldn't have bat an eye. But because a company was doing something different, it totally changed my perception right. of pro wrestling. And I think also because you and I both come from watching sports backgrounds, um, and like we're both sports fans, like the athletic stuff gets us, um, and like watching stuff, watching matches were like athletic means really gra- it gravitates towards us and I, that's what gravitated me towards wrestling was the athletic stuff yeah especially as a kid like yes. as I've gotten older I've, I've definitely become more appreciative of um, you know storytelling and other types of wrestling like you yeah, know same. Like, Tomohiro, like Tomohiro Ishii right who's not wrestling an athletic style but there's a certain you know, the physicality of it in that kind of drama. Like I have become more sophisticated, but especially as a kid, I was always really attracted to the high flyers and, and, and these, um, you know, guys who were doing really cool, cool stuff and just being innovative. And I don't know if it's like, um, yeah, like, I don't know if it's like part of it that was just like, you know, being a fan of real sports and, and, and getting into like being able to appreciate the athleticism of the guys. You know, I always liked it. Like my, you know, my parents, especially my dad, you know, who were not wrestling fans, um, you know, if they were watching something or I was watching something and they were in the room and they would see, like, someone do a shooting star press, they'd be like, whoa, you know, these guys are really athletic. And, you know, that would make me feel good because it'd be like, yeah, like, this is great. I, I always insist that if you wanted to show, like, a wrestling match to somebody who um, has never watched pro wrestling before, I would always pick something like, Will Ospreay ricochet match yeah. the best of the Super Juniors, where it's just guys doing crazy shit. And it's like, yeah, like I could show them, you know, Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat, or you know, 
Hulk Hogan versus The Rock or, you know, some of these matches that people will point to as like, oh, this is what would get a, a, a casual fan into wrestling. It's like, they're not going to understand, like, the personalities involved at all. They're just going to want to see cool shit. And that's definitely what attracted me to a lot of new types of wrestling, which is guys doing cool shit. Yep, I totally agree. Um, and I, I, I'm attracted to storytelling now and the tips and trades of storytelling and wrestling and stuff like that. And I've helped out at wrestling schools and stuff like that and been behind the scenes at wrestling. And it's just, it takes a lot to go into that that goes into wrestling that people don't even know. And it, it it's an art. And people don't treat it like an art. That's what I've come to learn. I think there's a balance. I think sometimes I think people get too, like, obviously I think like people like, you know, Bray Wyatt stuff get too artistic. Yeah. Their endeavor and they have to kind of forget that they're doing pro wrestling. Um, and one of the big, like, kind of like annoying things that I think a lot of people say that I think is just patently untrue is like, like a match, like there's this big gap between a match that has a great story and a match that has great in-ring work. Like you can only have one or the other. It's like, I don't really care about in-ring work. I care about stories. And it's like, well, every great match, with maybe a very few exceptions here or there, is going to have both. Yeah. You can't have a great match that doesn't have good in-ring work, and you can't have a great match that doesn't have a story. You know, you can, we can point to exceptions here and there, but generally, you know, you have to, if our match to be great, it has to be like, you could have an amazing story, but if the guys are botching all these moves and, you know, missing stuff by a mile and not selling or, you know, you know, all these things that would make lead to a bad in-ring work, like the match probably isn't going to be great. Um, it just seems to me like people kind of get, you know, either one or the other is, is, is kind of this thing that honestly stems back to, like I said, the divide between people who watch WWE only and people who watch more stuff because people will say, oh, you know, this Japanese promotion might have good in-ring work, but there are no stories in it, which, you know, we know is, is, is really untrue, but it's a, become a way to, some people feel safe dismissing it by saying like, yeah, that ring work might be good or these guys might be athletic or anything like that, but there's no story. Yeah. Um, because they feel like you can't have great in-ring work and a great story for some bizarre reason. And most matches have both. Plugs. I really enjoyed talking to you today, man. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, no. Thanks for having me on. Um, you have any plugs to share? Um, yeah, I mean, I just tell people to follow me on Twitter. At, you know, at Jesse Collins. J-E-S-S-E-C-O-L-L-I-N-G-S. I mean, you can, you, you know, voiceofwrestling.com I write for. I write for wrestlinginc.com as well. Um, I have a podcast, the Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, that people can look up on YouTube. Um, but I always just say, if you're interested in my work, follow me on Twitter um, because I'll be sharing, you know, all my articles that come out, all my podcasts that I'm on the drop. Um, we had a podcast that just dropped yesterday. We, uh, me and my co-host, Jason Umpresser, we just kind of previewed some of the major events happening uh, for wrestling this summer, it's, it's, it's really going to be an exciting time for wrestling. We've got so many yeah. big shows and stuff coming up. It's Summer used to suck for wrestling. Right? It used to be like, 
No. SummerSlam and that's it. And SummerSlam it was a lull. It was a lull. Yeah, and now it's like we got you know Best of the Super Juniors, which starts tomorrow. From you know we're recording this a day before a Super Junior starts. I'm I'm really excited about that. We've got you know or nothing in a few weeks. We've got Forbidden Door coming in June. You know, if you're a WWE fan, you got some major WWE shows. You know, Money in the Bank is going to be a huge show. You got SummerSlam has been moved up. You got the, the big show in Cardiff coming. Like, so WWE's going to have a lot of big shows. Um, and we got the G1 back in the summertime too, which you know we hadn't had in a few years. It's been in the fall, so it's going to be just no matter what wrestling you're into. This is a this is like an awesome, awesome time from like just no, how this much is going to be awesome. Happening. This is an awesome time for all around wrestling fans. For WWE fans, for AEW fans, for New Japan fans. This is a great time for everybody. And and we love wrestling here. And thank you for thank you to the Social Suplex Podcast Network. And thank you all for listening and your time.